When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 18, and today we're talking about books released on September 8th, 2015. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, our podcast is 18. 18 is my lucky number. Is it? Yep. It can vote. Our podcast can vote. Yes. And buy cigarettes, but we wouldn't want it to do that. No. No. Here we are. Here we are. It's our last recording of summer, but by the time the show airs, I guess it will be like not officially fall according to equinoxes or whatever, but it'll be fall. Everyone will be back in school by the time this show comes out. It'll be fall. I'm ready. Yeah. The um, traffic has been stopped in front of my house for like the last two hours because we're recording this the Friday before Labor Day. Uh, Ah, yes. Welcome to Maine. Have a seat. I guess it's probably the last like weekend of that for big Maine summer tourism. Yeah. It's almost over and then you can go back to having a quiet bat cave to hide in. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Okay. I've got a really good first book this week, so I decided I'm going to go first. I hope you don't mind. You should because (laughs) I seem to have swallowed my brain. So... (laughs) How does that work? Was it tasty? Did you have it with fava beans and a nice Chianti? (laughs) Yes. And a Red Bull. Naturally. Yes. Wash it down with Red Bull, girl. Yeah. Okay. My first pick this week is This Is Your Life, Harriet Chance! Exclamation point by Jonathan Evison. This is just a wonderful novel. I love Jonathan Evison quite a lot. Um, He writes every book that he writes is different from all of the rest of them, which is a really unique and fun thing to see a novelist do. But this is a story about 78-year-old Harriet Chance. Her husband's been dead for a couple of years, and she gets a call that a few years back before he died, he won an Alaskan cruise at an auction. She never knew about this. And the vouchers for, you know, take two people on an Alaskan cruise are about to expire. So she decides that she's going to go on the cruise and she's going to take her best friend with her and they are going to have some excitement in their lives. The best friend bails at the last minute. And so Harriet decides uh, sort of ill-advisedly to go on the cruise by herself. Eventually, in one of the port cities, her adult daughter, from whom she's been estranged for several decades, shows up and they find themselves on the cruise together. Things go sideways, like many, many things go sideways on this cruise, and it is both hilarious and heartbreaking. And Harriet finds out a really big secret that her husband had kept from her for like 40 years, uh, which reframes 
all, all of those years of their life together. The book is constructed in this really creative way. A bunch of the blurbs that I've read have used the word inventive, and that's the perfect way to describe it, where each chapter is a, like, this is your life style episode from sometime in Harriet's life. So we see Harriet when she is an infant. We see Harriet when she is at different points of her childhood and adolescence and young womanhood. We see her when she meets her husband. We see their early marital years and then later in their lives. But it's very nonlinear. You do always know exactly where you are in Harriet's life and how old she is. And there are some surprise chapters from some other points of view, but I don't want to spoil what those are because when I got to the first one, I was like, oh, this is so great. (laughs) Only Jonathan Evison's brain would think to do this. The book is so charming. It's so thoughtful. Evison really understands family dynamics and writes the, the female characters that are at the center of this book very, very understandably and with a lot of empathy and a lot of sympathy for what they go through. It's great. Uh, I took it outside on Saturday morning and I was like, I'm just going to sit out here in my floppy straw hat and read in the sun for a little while. And the next time I looked up, I was 100 pages in. Uh, I came inside because gingers and sunburn and I finished it all in one sitting. It's really, really lovely. Uh, This is Your Life, Harriet Chance by Jonathan Evison. I haven't read it yet, but I love him. He's so great. And didn't you like follow, you followed him around Book Expo because he wears that really recognizable hat? Well, is it a crime to like stalk somebody if you, if you like admit to it months later? Like, you know, well, no, you're safe and you had good intentions. Yeah, I followed him around. (laughs) I can recognize him because he wears that hat. Like, I, I don't know how you describe his hat, but. He's very noticeable. And he was on his phone at BEA, and I was just like, following. I was like, that's Jonathan Everson. <laughs> but then I got too scared to talk to him. Plus, he was on his phone, and he was looking around, and I thought maybe he was looking around for whoever he was he was talking to on the phone, but he was probably looking around for security because oh. he was like, this woman has been following me around. I ran into him, like literally ran into him physically uh, at a party a couple of years ago at Book Expo, and he was just the nicest. So it's yeah. really wonderful that this guy who is the nicest also writes excellent books. Yeah. He's, a, he's in this trio of Jonathans that I always make sure I read. Uh, Jonathan Miles and Jonathan Tropper being the other two. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all fantastic. They are. So, um, I'm going to tell you about something else fantastic now. Oh, it's so good. I'm so glad you're talking about this book. I'm so glad that you've read it, too, because you're going to have to help me. Like <laughs> I said, I swallowed my brain. But I'm going to do my best. Um, the book I'm going to talk about first is called Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy by Karen Abbott. And it is out in paperback now, but it's so good. Rebecca loved it. I loved it. So we're going to tell you a little bit about it. I could spend all 30 minutes talking about this book, actually, because it does involve the Civil War. And as you know, that's my wheelhouse. (laughs) This is like the Civil War and awesome feminist uh, secret spy people and history. And yeah, this is it's perfect. This is pretty much perfect for the two of us together. (laughs) Yeah. So when the Civil War started, women basically were expected to sit at home and sew and nurse the wounded and wait for the men to straighten everything out. And uh, some of the women were not satisfied with that. And Karen Abbott has highlighted four of the most famous of these women. Uh, There's Belle Boyd, who is a restless Southern teenager who shot and killed a Union soldier in her home. When he came in, uh, they were looking for Confederate flags, I believe. And uh, he started to rough her mother up, so she shot and killed him. As you do. Like you do. Um... She enjoyed that quite a bit, got a little taste for mayhem, and enjoyed thwarting the Yankees, so she signed up to deliver messages across enemy lines. Um, There was also Elizabeth Van Loo, a Southern abolitionist who nursed Union soldiers in a Confederate prison. 
much to the outrage of her neighbors, um, and she eventually orchestrated an espionage ring. Also joining the ranks of spy was Rose O'Neill Greenhough, a wealthy Southern widow who was known for keeping the company of many influential men before the war, and now she used her relationships with these men to obtain information for the Confederates. Um, and then the fourth woman was Emma Emmons, Edmonds, Emma Edmonds. That's hard to say. I know. I no wonder she changed her name. Uh, she assumed the identity of a man and joined the Union Army. It was believed uh, at one time that almost 400 women were fighting in the Civil War disguised as men, uh, which was considered a crime. Um, women who were caught were charged with prostitution, which is, like, what? Rid- ridiculous. <laughs> um, but the government didn't really have any anything to charge them with, and, and they didn't know what to do with these women. And they must so, be hussies. Yeah. So you're keeping the company of men, you're sleeping with them, you're dressing with them. So they tr- would charge them with prostitution and lock them in asylums, like, you know, thanks for trying to fight for your country. Here you go. Um, if you were a sol- if you were a soldier spying on the enemy, you were called a scout. Uh, and if you were caught, you were thrown into a prison camp. But people, such as these women who were spying, who were not enlisted in the army, who were caught, uh, faced death. Like there was no military punishment for you. You you could hang. Um, but this did not stop Belle or Rose or Elizabeth, who felt they had just as much a right to do what they saw fit uh, for their country as any soldier or the government did. So this is a fantastic book. It's so good. And some of it takes place in Richmond on an island called Belle Isle. That's like just across the river from downtown where there was a prison during the Civil War. And so it was really great for me to read about that, like having lived here Um, or since I do live here. (laughs) (laughs) I think I might have swallowed my brain, too. How do you know if you've done that? I know it's contagious for the microphone. But I just uh, Karen Rabbit. uh, See, I can't talk now. Karen Abbott is a great writer, and I really thought it was interesting. At the beginning, she discusses how all the dialogue in the book is actual dialogue. It either comes from letters or journals um, or other or accounts from people who were there. She, like, she doesn't make up any of this. She's done. She's kind of made a name for herself telling stories about otherwise unknown women in history. I loved Sin in the Second City, Mm -hmm. um, which I think was her first book and is about a pair of sisters who leave Iowa um, to go to Chicago like during the Prohibition years and they open um, what becomes Chicago's most renowned brothel. And they've got, you know, all the cops are on their payroll so that they don't get shut down, but they're fighting against church people who, you know, don't want there to be brothels in existence and they have to stay one step ahead of the law the whole time. Uh, Her second book was about Gypsy. See Rose Lee um, and like the early history of burlesque in the United States, and it was great. I she's doing such really interesting things and is such a thorough researcher, but tells her stories in a way that are so compelling. Like it's you you don't realize quite how much you're learning because it's such a pleasure to read. Yeah. Okay. Yay, Karen Abbott and liar temptress soldier spy. Yay. Can I tell you about our first sponsor this week? Yes, because I don't know what it is except the name, and it sounds hilarious. (laughs) The first sponsor is Lizard Radio by Pat Schmatz. This is a YA novel. It's set in a futuristic society that's run by an all-powerful Gov, or Gov, it's capital G-O-V. And the main character is named Kivali. Kivali is a 15-year-old bender teen on the cusp of adulthood, and Kivali has choices to make about her life and maybe the world. Um, She's had a rough time in her her culture, which is very gender rigid. She was abandoned and raised um, when she, she was abandoned as a baby and raised by a woman named Sheila, though, who is a nonconformist. And Kavali has always been surrounded by uncertainty. She doesn't know where she came from. 
She doesn't know if what Sheila says is true, that she was deposited on Earth by mysterious Saurians. Um, she doesn't know really what to answer when people say, what are you? She's not sure if she's a boy or a girl. She's not sure if she's a human or a lizard. If she's both, if she is neither. And now Cavalli is in crop camp, which with all of its schedules and regulations and uh, also the first real friends that she's ever had. So some, some double sides of the coin there. Strange things happen, complicated relationships arise, and they create for Cavalli questions about herself that she's never had to consider before. Um, she has this gift, though. She has the power to enter a trance-like state to harness the knowings inside her. She has lizard radio, uh, which is what they call it in this world. But will it be enough to save her? So this is a coming-of-age story that is rich in friendships and the emotions of first love. It'll resonate with teens just emerging into adulthood. Um, and adults who remember what that feeling was like. This has a genderqueer protagonist, a sci-fi alternate reality. It's not quite dystopian, though. They explore gender identity and issues that uh, all teenagers face as they try to figure out who they are and make their way into the world. Um, this is from Candlewick. Candlewick is doing such really interesting and progressive things with their fiction and really making a point to tell stories about everybody who's here in the world. Um, and Lizard Radio by Pat Schmatz is just the latest one. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, or you can buy it wherever books are sold. I was really hoping you were going to say an all great, a great and all powerful lizard, like at the beginning. <laughs> maybe, maybe we haven't swallowed our brains. Maybe we're just becoming lizards, and we're going to have lizard radio, and that's how we'll broadcast our shows in the future. It's possible directly from our brains onto the internet. <laughs> Lizardy. <laughs> All right. I guess I'm up next again. You are. Oh, yay. Okay. Welcome to going first. <laughs> I'm not ready for the pressure, Liberty. Okay. So my next pick this week is one I talked about a couple of weeks ago when I was looking forward to reading it. It's called Negro Land by Margot Jefferson. This is a memoir. Um, Margot Jefferson grew up in a privileged corner of black society. Um, her father was the head of pediatrics at Provident, which is the nation's oldest black hospital in Chicago. Um, and she grew up in a very elite social group that her parents referred to sometimes as the colored aristocracy, um, which has a history going back to the 19th century where um, groups, uh, you know, a group of educated African Americans um, joined together to really try to stand apart. Um, and it's essentially the roots of respect, what we call today respectability politics. Jefferson calls this privileged corner of black society Negro land. Um, and she refers back to a letter of her mother's that she found and um, that her mother wrote when she was young, maybe even before uh, Jefferson was born, uh, talking to a friend about feeling comfortable in her life and having some professional successes and how well things were going um, with her husband and his career and saying that sometimes she even forgets that she's a Negro. Um, as in, Sometimes life feels easy and I feel respected and treated like everyone else and I forget that the color of my skin means that I won't be. Jefferson looks at the founding and development of what she calls Negro land, and she spotlights um, different points in history, including emancipation, civil rights, the dawn of the feminist movement, and key points in her own life to understand and like un and just unpack the complexity, the, <laughs> the complexity, that's a word now, um, the complexity of respectability politics that tell black people that if they work hard enough, and if they are respectable enough, they can eventually be be treated and respected as well as whites are in society, which this is not true, but has driven for lots of history, um, the motivation to succeed and to rise above, um, 
misconceptions and prejudices about black culture. And Jefferson is unpacking what it means to have been raised uh, in this privileged corner of black society and what she discovered about being black in America as she grew up and sort of modified the stuff that she had learned as a child. Um, This is a really important novel. It's or a memoir, excuse me. It's beautifully written. Jefferson is a critic, and you can see that critic's way of thinking about art and literature and public works throughout the way that she tells the story and unpacks history. It also has some really excellent explorations of intersectionality and what intersectional feminism and activism mean. Um, there were some hot sections that I was like, okay, this is just what I'm going to copy and paste the next time that someone tells me they don't understand why intersectionality matters. Um, and I've been like reading sections of it out loud to my husband and talking about it. Just a really fantastic memoir. I'm nervous about talking about it. Like I'm afraid that I'm going to accidentally say something that that I don't know is offensive. I think that that's part of the process of hearing more and more stories about the black experience in America, though, and it's an important thing to do. It made me uncomfortable in important ways. Um, so that's Negro Land by Margot Jefferson. I really, really, really want to read that. I haven't read it yet. But I'm gonna. You're gonna get there. I'm so. I'm tr- I think I've used my allotted amount of words for today. Like I'm. <laughs> yeah, I'm I've got a segue. Here. I've got a segue for you. That is my <laughs> book was one land, and your next selection takes us back to a, a different land. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was pretty good. Yes, I'm gonna talk again about Sweetland by Michael Crummy. Um, we've only done 18 episodes, but I have I think talked about this 1,100 times now. Um, it's because it is probably my favorite book of 2015, um, and it is out in paperback. Woo-woo. It came out in January, and now nine months later, bing, paperback baby. <laughs> so Sweetland is the story of Moses Sweetland, who lives on a fictional Canadian island called Sweetland. It is not a coincidence that they have the same name. Moses' family has lived there for several generations. Um, he himself has been on the island for many decades, when the government shows up with an offer for the island's inhabitants. The government wants to use the island for their own purposes and will pay everyone there to relocate. Um, But everyone must agree to this deal in order for the people to get their money, and one of the island's inhabitants won't sign. You guessed it, (laughs) Moses. Uh, He has lived on the island for so long and has such a strong attachment to it, he does not want to leave. Um, This, of course, makes him very unpopular with his neighbors. Uh, They're all quite upset about this. They want the money. They want him to, to agree to sign. Um, as the novel unfolds, you learn about his past and the things that have happened to him, the story of the only time he ever left the island, um, and the events that have kept him on Sweetland since. Um, this is one of those quiet novels. It just sneaks up on you and breaks your heart. Like, I cried a lot reading oh. this book. It's so sweet and so lovely. Um, I, I, like, I'm thinking about going to read it right after we finish recording now. I'm like, I want to read this again right <laughs> now. I, I just want everyone yet. to read it. Yeah. I'm afraid you're going to break up with me if I don't read it soon. <laughs> no, it'll be okay, I promise. But seriously, it's so wonderful. Um, and again, it's called Sweetland by Michael Crummy. And the paperback is really gorgeous. I have seen it. Yeah. Okay, now for something completely different. <laughs> yes. 
Um, my next pick is also paperback this week. It's Dataclism, Love, Sex, Race, and Identity, What Our Online Lives Tell Us About Our Offline Selves by Christian Rudder. Um, I read this last year. It blew my brain open in all of the most pleasant ways. Um, Christian Rudder was a co-founder of OkCupid, and he pulls together data from OkCupid, Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, and more big internet social networks to look at what our online behavior reveals about our beliefs. We are in this point in society where we know that there are things that aren't acceptable to say out loud, or most of us know that there are things that you're not supposed to say out loud, but we might express them with our private clicks and ratings of things. And nowhere potentially is this more obvious than in the behavior and the ideas that we express on dating websites. So this book is chock full of stats and graphs and charts and just really juicy but also horrifying information. Uh, like pulling the information from OkCupid and Match.com, they discover that men in all, all age groups rate women in their early 20s as the most attractive. Women's ratings of the men and their attractiveness shift kind of age appropriately, like women in their 30s are rating men in their 30s as most attractive. Um, but all of the men, whether they're 18 or 58, are, rate, are rating the 22-year-old women as the most attractive. Um, so they compare that to messaging habits. What are these 58-year-old men who are rating 22-year-old women as most attractive actually doing? Well, they have some awareness of age appropriateness and like who's out of their league and what's not a thing they should try for. And so they are messaging and um, actually taking steps to, you know, connect and message women who are more age appropriate, but still are significantly younger than them. Uh, there are lots of statistics that unpack what, man, I like the word unpack on this episode. If you're playing a drinking game, <laughs> every time I say unpack, <laughs> I'm really sorry because you are totally tanked by now. Um, he looks at uh, race and standards of beauty, which are largely built around white women in the U.S. And like most men know, you know, it's not, you're not supposed to say out loud something like, well, I don't think black women are attractive. But the ratings uh, that people in OkCupid and Match.com, people of all races give to women of different races reflect these major sort of cultural phenomena around who we consider to be attractive and who we don't. And likewise for men, it's um, it, it's shocking and also confirming a lot of our gross stereotypes about the things that people believe and don't say out loud. Um, but also really interesting, like. I, I don't know, I love data and statistics and I love the internet. So I am less creeped out by all of the information that people collect that that companies can collect about us than maybe I should be. Um, but this made me very like, oh, look at all the interesting things that we can learn about ourselves. Like we can really see that society is not post-racial because the ratings of of women really do vary based on their race uh, and so many other things. If you are into any of this kind of stuff and what kinds of statistics we can pull from people's behavior when they're just when they're alone with their phones and they're clicking on things and they're not thinking about the fact that someone's going to look at the aggregated data of what they clicked on, um, there's some revealing and ugly truths. Uh, it was fascinating, though. Um, I think I mentioned this book maybe when we talked about Aziz Ansari's book, Modern Love, that just came out earlier this summer. Mm -hmm. If you liked the juicy numbers in Modern Love, you really, really need to pick up Dataclism because it is so much juicier. Uh, so that's Dataclism, Love, Sex, Race, and Identity, What Our Online Lives Tell Us About Our Offline Selves by Christian Rudder, and it's in paperback. So uh, one reason to sign up for our weekly newsletter about new releases is because I save some of the good ones for the Ooh, newsletter. Ooh, yes. Look at that yeah. plug. 
Yeah, so uh, we're going to do something a little different. Um, I have some good books that are going to be in the newsletter this week. So uh, rolling with Rebecca's pick for um, relationships and information, I am going to give a little backlist bump to a book about a very unusual relationship. Um, it is called As She Climbed Across the Table by Jonathan Lethem. Um, you might be familiar with, with Jonathan Lethem. He wrote Fortress of Solitude and uh, Motherless Brooklyn. This is one of his first books um, and one of my favorites. If you've never read him, it's a great place to start. It's one of his lighter and thinner novels. Um, it's about a couple, Alice and Philip, who work at a university. They are young and brilliant and in love. And Philip thinks that they have the perfect relationship going until he discovers that Alice has fallen in love with Lack. Now, Lack is not a stronger or more handsome man than Philip. In fact, Lack is not even a man at all. Lack is a hole in the universe created by Alice and her colleagues <laughs> in a lab. What? Yep. She has fallen in love with an absence. Um, so Lack is a void, and it's, but it seems to have a personality. It has different tastes and interests. Um, <laughs> When they roll things into it, uh, it eats pomegranates and light bulbs and socks, but it won't eat the axe or the bow tie or the egg that they fed it. It rejects I, it. I don't even um, know Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> I love this book. It's so cool. So, yeah, it's just like this hole in space that you can't really see, but they know is there, and it's like over a table, and like they roll things, and sometimes they don't come out the other side, and sometimes they do. Anyway, poor <laughs> Philip. Poor Philip. He's left wondering how he can win Alice back from something that you that doesn't even seem to exist. Like, how do you beat an opponent that you can't see? It's the classic boy meets girl, boy gets girl, boy loses girl to a black hole story. <laughs> um, it's so hilarious and delightful. I love this book so much. And it's so, so weird and much easier to ingest than a light bulb or a bow tie. So again, <laughs> that is called As She Climbed Across the Table by Jonathan Lethem. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and laugh for a minute. So why don't you tell us about our next sponsor? <laughs> Oh, yes. I am excited that these are our sponsors because I've read both of these and I love them both. Um, our next sponsors are the books Honor Girl by Maggie Thrash and Bobby Yaga's Assistant by Marika Makula and Emily Carroll. Um, these are both wonderful graphic novels out this fall. Uh, out now, I think, actually. Um, Honor Girl is Maggie Thrash's memoir about the summer she spent at Camp Bellflower for Girls, deep in the heart of Appalachia, uh, when she was 15 years old. Maggie was far from her home, in Atlanta. She had never kissed a boy. Um, she's really into the Backstreet Boys. Like, really. Her obsession with the Backstreet Boys is off the charts. Basically, an average teenage girl at camp um, until an innocent moment of physical contact pulls Maggie into a gut-twisting love for an older female counselor. Um, but Camp Bellflower is an impossible place for a girl to fall in love with another girl. And when it seems like Aaron, the counselor, might feel the same way, it's too much for Maggie and the camp to handle, let alone understand. Um, it's just this really honest, great memoir that Maggie Thrash wrote. Also, Thrash is, like, the greatest last name ever. It, she doesn't right? even need a new roller derby name. Like, yeah, like, I'm going to change my name to Liberty Headbang. Like, <laughs> Maggie Thrash is so awesome. That's such a great name. Uh, she's a Rookie Magazine staff writer, and this is her first book. But uh, not only does she write this, but she also does the illustrations. And it's just a really accurate depiction of the highs and lows of first love. It's really great. And the second book is Bobby Yaga's Assistant, written by Porter Square bookseller Marika Makula and illustrated by New York Times bestselling author Emily Carroll. Um, in this book, the Russian folklore icon Bobby Yaga mentors a lonely girl who is not afraid of the haunted woods or of matching wits with a witch. Uh, the fearsome witch of folklore needs an assistant, and Masha is in need of an adventure. 
So she proves herself clever enough to enter Baba Yaga's house. Do you know her house? The house up on chicken legs? Have I you ever don't. seen it? No. Yeah, it's a house, but it has, like, chicken legs. I have a tattoo of it. Um, I love this house. And it, like, like moves around. And it's really hard to enter, so you have to, like, try to trick it. it. Is it also in a to... hole in the universe? No, but you have to trick it into letting you in. Like, it won't... You can't just go up and open the door. You have to, like, outwit the house. Um, so she, she proves herself to be clever enough to get into the house, but now she has to prove herself, you know, clever enough to match wits with Baba Yaga. Um, and Baba Yaga, she doesn't play by the rules. Like, deceit is the rule. Um, so... It's just this terrific tale, but it's also the story of a girl who is mourning the loss of a parent and searching for ways to prove herself, or prove to herself and the world that she is strong and brave. So, thanks to Candlewick and Honor Girl by Maggie Thrash and Bobby Yaga's assistant by Marika Makula and Emily Carroll for sponsoring today's show. Both books are available now wherever books are sold, and they are awesome. Yeah, awesome illustrated books. If you're like thinking about trying graphic novels and you haven't done it yet, these are all those are both really good places to start, I think. Yeah. The I I think uh Bobby Agas assistant already won like the New England Booksellers Award. It's, awesome. It's so great. So now we're going to do something else different. We are. We were talking about how it's back to school season and we both really, really love campus novels. So our last segment this week is going to be each of us sharing our favorite campus novel, um, which this was really hard for me to narrow down. I love I just really, really love campus novels um, and stories told on college campuses, but especially boarding schools. So like, hit me up, readers and listeners with your favorite boarding school stories, please. I cannot get enough of them. But the one that I'm going to talk about this week is Skippy Dies by Paul Murray. This came out several years ago, and I feel like I've just been talking about it nonstop since then, and I'm totally fine with it. Uh, this takes place in Ireland at a boys' boarding school. It's a high school, and Skippy is 14, and in the opening scene of the novel, Skippy dies on the, as the title tells you. Rebecca! I you know, told everybody I what happened. No, he dies in the best possible way. <laughs> he is eating donuts. Yeah, uh, he dies on the floor go. of the local donut shop. Uh, and the book rewinds to figure out how this happened to poor Skippy uh, and shows us, you know, his life, his obsession with video games and also his uh, hallucinations that become increasingly troublesome. They show us this motley crew of teenage boys who are all the things that you think teenage boys are in a, in a private boarding school in both hilarious and awful ways and there's you know like the kid who's trying to build a time machine in the basement and there is the teacher with nefarious intent and there's the bully who comes after skippy because they like the same girl and it's just great and funny and dark and a little filthy in the way that 14 year old boy humor can be but smart because a grown-up like paul murray wrote it it's so so good uh and everyone should read it and that is called Skippy Dies by Paul Murray. And I just realized the book you're going to talk about begins with a death also. Yes. Yes, it does. But first I want to say that you have the new Paul Murray book and I want it. And I'm going to send my cat ninjas to your house to take it. Too. I will transmit it to you via either Lizard Radio or The Hole in the Universe. Yes, I really, really am looking forward to that. Because it's been a few years since Skippy Dies came out. And it is so good. I love Skippy Dies. Um, and like you said, the book that I'm going to talk about does start with a death. But let me just back up and say, this is absolutely one of my favorite novels. And it is The Secret History by Donna Tartt. It is also one of maybe a dozen novels I have read more than once. Uh, 23 times, to be precise. Are you I kidding? No, I read it every February since it came out in 1992. Um, I love this book. And I would have to say that this novel and probably Geek Love are the two novels that when I worked at a bookstore, 
people would come in and ask for books similar to, like, the most. Like, they'd be like, mm-hmm. I want something like Secret History, but there's nothing like it. There there's really nothing isn't. quite like it. They try to trick you all the time. Publishers are like, you know, similar to the Secret History. They're not. Lies. It's lies. So, the Secret History, it's just big and beautiful and a bit flawed and just amazing. It's about a group of Greek students at an elite college in Vermont who get mixed up in murder. Um, and it does open with a death. It's one of those great books that opens with, like, the crime and then goes on to tell you, like, how it got to that point. I love that so much. Oh, and the students, you know, this group of students, they're just snotty and spoiled and chemically fueled and just hilarious. And the writing in this book is just gorgeous. And every time I read it, I find something new or have a new favorite character or a new favorite quote. Um, I just, I haven't gotten over this book in, you know, what, 23 years now? It's, it's amazing. I, I love it. I would, and would be curious to know if I would love it this much if I read it now, as opposed to when, you know, I was, well, since I'm only like 21 now, I mean, I was only three when I started reading it, um, or, you know, two or something, but no, it's, but like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, you know, it's, and I always just say, this is my favorite book. And then a few years ago, I realized like, it's not my only favorite book, and that made me sad. You know, <laughs> it because, has to share the crown. Yeah, it's been it's been such a big part of my life. I bet you probably would. I came late to the secret history. I didn't read it until after I started blogging. So I think I first read it in like 2009 or 2010. And I had picked it up and took it to St. Louis on Thanksgiving break with Bob's family. And I was like, oh, this looks like, you know, it's creepy. People say it's a good book to read in cold weather. And I don't think that I spoke to his family the entire visit (laughs) because once it starts, the book just grabs you by the collar and doesn't let you go. And I was like, this is what I'm doing now. I'm just sitting on this couch, reading this book and ignoring my family and that's what's happening and I'm not sorry <laughs> yeah it's it's so wonderful I love it when you hear people be like I just read the secret history for the first time and oh yep. everyone is right <laughs> so yes. good so good I guess maybe we can get some tweets like that after this if listeners who haven't read it decide to pick it up yes did, that would be delicious did we make it through am I still alive we did or we did made we it through it those through are the all thing. of the new books <laughs> do you want me to go first on what I'm gonna read next Yes, you can tell me. Okay. I actually kind of don't know. I have this big pile, but I think <laughs> I think that what I'm going to read is Ghost Summer, a collection of short stories that just came out this week. Um, so I should have read it in time to talk about it on on the September 1st show uh, by Tanarive Duet. Um, I've been recommended her work like a million times um, for being dark and creepy and wonderful. And this is a collection of scary, like horror short stories. Um, so I'm going to dive into those. I'm going to read a book called Lum, L-U-M, by Libby Ware. I don't, I'm actually just looking at the description right now online because I just know that, that a friend said, oh, I have this book, I want you to read it. I said, okay, it's a... Uh, it takes place during the Depression. It's about a woman named Lum. Um, she was diagnosed with what we now call an intersex condition when she was eight years old. And now at 33, she has no home of her own because she's been told that she can't marry. Um, so she's just been shuttled from one relative's house to another. Um, and she's never, it says she's never been treated by like a member of the family. And everything is turned upside down when the Blue Ridge Parkway is slated to come through her family's farmland. No. As, as people take sides in the fight, the community begins to tear apart, culminating in an act of violence and subsequent betrayal by opponents of the new road. Hmm. So it sounds really interesting. It sounds great. Yeah. 
Well, that's our show this week. So thank you again to Candlewick for sponsoring. You can check out Lizard Radio, Honor Girl, and Baba Yaga's Assistant Now, wherever books are sold. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty, exactly like it sounds. Uh, if you have a minute and you like the show and you would give us a rating or a review or both on iTunes, we would be super appreciative. It lets us know how we're doing. It also helps us other listeners who want a podcast about all of the new books to find it. And that makes everyone happy. And a million, million thank yous to those of you who have done that for us so far. Yes, a million and one thank yous. It's been really awesome. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter that I mentioned before, where you can learn about more great books out today. And that is a, is a wrap? Is it a wrap? It's a wrap. We did it. We did it. <laughs> Happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.